Welcome to the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast. I'm Dr. Jay Calvert, and I am sitting here today with my most banged up and wounded colleague, Dr. Millicent Ravello. How are you doing, Dr. Ravello, after your big accident? I've had better days. Huge, huge accident. It was. Rough. <laughs> There's a reason this one isn't on video. <laughs> it's so true. Usually we video these, but my face is not up to camera ready. I, what happened, though, exactly? Now, I had another patient who will remain nameless because they're a very, very big name person who had a, a battle with a garbage can and, and lost. By, mm-hmm. the, and, mm-hmm. and they lost very big, split ear, all kinds of injuries. Yours looks like it's just a couple of abrasions, but did, did the wind take you or... Did a tree fall on you while you okay, were... Okay, so, so here's the true story. Did a story. raccoon attack you for the garbage? What What is it? No, I was doing my recycling, and here's the real truth. My neighbor was outside, and I'm sure he wasn't watching me, but I felt self-conscious, and I wanted to be a good neighbor and a good citizen of the world. So I was really trying to smash my boxes into the recycling bin and not leaving them all, like, open and boxed so that there'd be room for other people to, like, put stuff in there if they wanted to. And I didn't want the garbage men to have a big open lid. So I was trying to be a good person. So I was really leaning down into the trash can, trying to smash these boxes in. And when I lifted my head up, the lid of the trash can just smacked me in the face. Oh. And it kind of went... So I have, like, a forehead thing. I have a nasal thing, a little another nasal thing. It It dinged me up pretty bad. So... Yeah, that was me versus the trash can. I will say I, I might have won because I really, I filled that trash can pretty full. It was stuffed. So worth it. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> it was worth it. So, so the, I mean, if you want me to do, like, you don't have to break your nose for me to do a rhinoplasty. If you want me to do it, I will just do it. You don't have to undergo. Thank you. Like, because that's always a question. What if I break my nose? Can I get a nose job? I was like, well, you'll have a broken nose then. Yeah, and then you'll need optimal. a nose job and it's not optimal. So. It's, it's, it's pushing me towards my future septorhinoplasty, <laughs> which ironically enough is part of the topic of today. But just to finish off my altercation story, I was thinking about your patient, the one that you just referenced who had his ear sliced off by a trash can. I was like, <laughs> Oh my gosh, I'm that guy. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> it's like, you know, you see it all. That's yep. part of the deal. And of course, today or this week, I'm doing some filming for some TV stuff. And yep, of, course. of course, this is the week I get all banged up. That's right. Can we talk? Your TV show is not public knowledge yet, is it? Or is it? Well, apparently now it is. But oh, no. it is. <laughs> no, it's not. Oh, it's not. Okay. Well, all right. Shh. I won't talk about that. That's coming. What we do want to talk about today is septal reconstruction, the reconstruction of the nasal septum, because it comes up all the time in the context of primary rhinoplasty, revision rhinoplasty, uh, cocaine nose reconstruction, cleft lip and palate reconstruction. I just did a massive cleft nose reconstruction that required a lot of septal work. So reconstructing the septum is a topic that needs to be addressed just because it's not simple and oh, it's not no. something that people really like the average plastic surgeon doesn't really want the average ENT, ENT surgeon, surgeon doesn't really want to go and do no. total septal reconstruction unless it's really forced upon them. Right. And if it, unless it's something that they do pretty routinely because it is 
a complex procedure and it is not for the faint of heart because for a little, you know, a little background here, the septum is that middle part of the nose. It's the thing in the inside of your nose that separates the left side of the nose from the right side of the nose. And if you've ever heard of something like a septal perforation, it's when there's a hole in that septum and it allows air and fluid or whatever to communicate between the two sides. So a septal Reconstruction is when you really have to take that septum apart, take it down, put it in a new position, do something to it to make it better for a number of reasons. Yeah, and and, and septal reconstruction comes in a lot of you know flavors. Um, the so you, everybody knows the term. Oh, do I have a deviated septum? Right, That's the right. big question. Yeah. The, um, Usually when the patients are asking that, they don't really know what that means, mm-hmm. and it's okay, but they know that that might get insurance to get involved right. in their in their right. nasal surgery, but um, to the tune of like $5 lately. But septal, septal deviation is when that cartilaginous, and it's also bony, car, you know, the septum is a big, it, it's, there's the membranous septum up front, which is if you shove your nose in your fingers where people get piercings all the time and you want to get a bull ring piercing that's through the membranous septum just behind that if you push back a little bit you can feel the cartilage where it becomes the cartilaginous septum and if you go further back you hit if you can hit your vomer good for you you got a long finger but the you know i I was thinking about this the other day when i was scratching my vomer the um (laughs) the vomer is way back behind the quadrangular cartilage uh, and it meets it articulates with the ethmoid plate from the skull base and then behind that you get to the coena which is where you get into the pharynx and so that's what people were saying when they were doing those you know covid tests they're shoving the q-tip up into their brain because there actually is not such a very you know big step away no it's pretty close it's pretty close once you get you know, back to the vomer and that ethmoid plate, you're pretty darn close to your brain right there. Yeah. And uh, your your sensory fibers for your olfactory system, your smell, are extensions mm-hmm. of your brain into, into the, the, the cristigalli, yeah. which is uh, an area of bone where the little fingerlets of nerve are kind of right there. You yep. know, that's how you have the sense of smell. Yep. And when you smash them, as I have in rugby many times, your sense of smell gets very weak. <laughs> so, which has been a blessing in elevators for me, by the way. I just want to. <laughs> oh, I bet. I just want to say, no I, I, I can barely smell anything, so it's good. Um, but, but anyway, back to the septum. So the septum is all those things. It's mostly the cartilaginous septum that we're talking about, and that's the part. If you push on the bridge of your nose, that's the part of the septum that comes up to the the bridge below the nasal bones above the tip it's in the middle vault as we call it so so the reconstruction of that structure can take on a lot of different forms in a primary rhinoplasty sometimes the the septum is so crazy deviated that you have to even take it out and do what's called an extracorporeal septoplasty which extracorporeal meaning outside of the body you fix the septum put it back in and and sew it in place that's pretty rare. Even in my practice of the biggest disaster noses of, of all time, I I probably do that once to three times a year. Right. Yeah. Most people don't need that much work with no. their septum. That's the extreme. average primary rhinoplasty needs a little bit of work on the septum. Usually if it's deviated, you know, they have problem maybe breathing from one side versus the other. And usually just harvesting the septum, taking out that cartilaginous portion of it. You can use the cartilage to make your grafts. Usually in a non-big deal rhinoplasty, that's enough. 
to yes. fix whatever the deviation issue might be. Just taking out the septum as a cartilage graft and calling it a day. Correct. And because when you take out the deviated por- portion of the septum, the, uh, the, the two leaflets of mucosa, the lining of the septum, you know, basically if you were to travel from the left side of the nose over to the right side of the nose through the septum, you'd hit mucosa, then you'd hit the perichondrium, the lining of the cartilage, then you'd hit the cartilage, then as you go through to the other side, you'd hit the perichondrium again, the mucosa, and then you'd be out. So, I feel like we just did like a magic school bus ride through the nose. That was awesome, wasn't it? That was fun. <laughs> I can do it the other way if you want to go from right to left. It's the same thing. But the reality is that uh, you, you work on the cartilage and you leave the mucosa. And then what's left is just the two leaflets of mucosa kind of healed together. And, yeah. and they're fine. And, you, you, and that's yeah, all you need. That's all you really need. Because in, we're in not taking cases. out all of the cartilage. We're leaving it. It's called an L-strut. So you have a little bit of cartilage on top a little bit in the front to provide support for the right. rest of the nose. So the things go wrong when people take too much mm. of the septum out. You're supposed to leave 10 millimeters at least of this L strut of the septum. And if you take more than that, it can become weak. Mm. And I have lots of examples of that. And yeah. that's because a lot of people really don't get a good look at the septum. If you're doing just a septoplasty, you don't typically open the nose. You do it from a closed approach or an endonasal approach. And when you're inside the nose, 10 millimeters is a lot it is like once you get your caliper out and you really measure what exactly is 10 millimeters or even 12 millimeters if you're just looking at it outside of the nose it looks like a very small you know amount but once you actually put it inside the nose it's a hefty chunk of that septum and you just said something that differentiate differentiates you from most other people doing septoplasties which is you do use a caliper hmm. because your eye isn't good enough to not do that. at all and, and we all think, our, oh, I got it. It's a centimeter. Oh, that's about a centimeter. <laughs> well, you have loops on or you're in the nose and you're using, like, you should measure because if you measure, you're going to get it right. Yeah. You know, measure twice, cut once. That is really the rule. And I think that, you know, for septal reconstructions, a lot of them that I do are when people have a saddle nose because the the previous septoplasty was overly aggressive. They just kind of disrupted all the ligamentous attachments and the and the support of the septum and so the thing caves in yeah it caves in literally what it sounds like it is a saddle nose it looks like you could put a little tiny person riding on it like a little saddle that's right it'd be a very small person because it's a nose yeah be like you know get your calipers out it'd be like you know my in my backyard today there were some ducklings maybe the ducklings could ride on the saddle the saddle (laughs) nose because they're very small and my we have we have ducks that come every year and they create progeny in my backyard. <laughs> it's a yearly thing every every summer. Anyway, but those little ducklings could ride on the saddle nose. So the um, but the saddle nose really looks that way. It, it falls in, the, it collapses, and it needs to be reconstructed. So how do you do that? Um, there's also trauma. Trauma sure. destroys septums oh, all the time. Oh my gosh, I've seen some smash noses after you know face plants or car accidents and nothing you can do in the immediate time frame really to reconstruct it you kind of kind of go we'll be back here see you in six months (laughs) prepare a rib for me you know you can you know put it back in place put some splints in put some packing in there to sort of you know save your soft tissue but it's when you you get a a bad face smash and you smash that septum you're looking at a reconstruction for sure one of the worst ones i saw is a guy that was in a motorcycle accident where he he like ramped up over like something on the side of the road and the the handlebar came down right into the middle of his face Oof. and you know the the bike missed him but the the 
one of the handlebars, as the bike landed next to him, the handlebar went right into the middle vault of his nose and smashed his nose and shoved his entire septum into his face. Oh. And that was a sad old nose. It looked like somebody put a sledgehammer to him. Yikes. You know? And reconstructing that was, was quite a feat because you, I really had to first get all the stuff out of his face so that I could begin to even have space to build the septum. Yeah. And that's kind of the trick. So, so how do you reconstruct the septum? First of all, you need good material. And typically that can be other septal cartilage. It can be, it can be ear cartilage. It's not my favorite. It's very soft. If you just kind of Play massage your, your ear. ear a little bit yes. and then kind of push on the middle vault of your nose. Not the same. Not the same. I love rib cartilage. Well, I'm usually a, if you're I'm doing a, rib a, master. a septal reconstruction, it's, you usually don't really have any septum left to work with. No. That's true. It's either yeah. mulch from trauma, gone from surgery, uh, or something else has happened, like a bad disease process that can leave you, like a, like a granulomatosis and polyangitis. Right. Or uh, cocaine. Cocaine. That'll take it out, too. <laughs> that's, that's not a disease process, but it kind of is. Because you've got to do a lot of cocaine to smoke a septum out. It happens. It it's like an LA thing for sure, <laughs> dude. You still have your septum, right on, man. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. The eighties, you made it through the eighties, didn't you? Um, no, I mean cocaine's back actually. Around, uh, I've seen a couple of uh, big time septal perforations here that you know were from vasoconstrictors, um, which cocaine does that through vasoconstriction and it does melt the septum. Yep. So how do you reconstruct it? Well, I typically like to use rib cartilage i can use i can use cadaver rib you know you can use an allograft rib uh, donated rib but my favorite is autogenous rib it just it's good stuff it's good stuff yeah. it has cells in it it's gonna live you know the the allograft rib you don't you just don't know you know you don't have a you know you don't know it's not alive it's not it's not it's frozen and it's not your own. <laughs> it doesn't have cells in it. it. Yeah, it's just, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's okay. stuff. It's stuff. It works, kind of. But you know it's going to be gone in, in some number of years, either five to 20 years. Right. But 20 years from now, it'll be gone. So your own rib is best. I love, I love autogenous rib. And autogenous means it's from you. It's the patient's own rib cartilage. And I typically will make, you know, the L strut. I'll make it like it's, I try to make it anatomically correct. Uh, and I'll make it out of the, you know, graphs from the rib. Um, an L strut is exactly what it sounds like. It's in the shape of an L. The longer limb of the L forms the bridge or support of the bridge of the nose. And then the shorter limb of the L comes down in front, in, you know, right behind your columella, right between your nostrils. Right. And so I try to reconstruct that, you know, soup to nuts so that it's going to be strong. And then, you know, the supports, I try to sew it into upper lateral cartilages. If there are some, if there aren't, I replace them. You know, so I'm all about like just making new parts for the nose for whatever's needed. And I've had to do this for a bunch of cases. Um, there's, I'm just trying to think if there's one online that's really worth looking at. I'll, I'll have to I'll, I'll have to get a link and put it up to my website, um, but I'm sure there is. I'm sure on my blog, you know, if you go to drcalvert.com slash blog, 
I think there's a blog entry about total septal reconstruction because because it, it's a big issue and it and it is it's part of getting the nose straight. It's part of it getting it supported. It's mm-hmm. part of getting people to breathe. I mean, my patient today, I took down his his uh, Doyle splints and his uh, dorsal splint. And he was like, I have never breathed so well for the last two years since he'd had his previous rhinoplasty. Wow! And he was just like, This is incredible. I was like, Well, yeah. that's kind of what we do. The nose likes support. It needs to be open. Yeah, you got you got to put in the right kind of support though. It can't just be you know. It can't. I just don't like your cartilage. Sorry. <laughs> I, know, I know there's like, you know, a bunch of like nasal surgeons right now going like, oh, you don't know how to use it. That's your problem. I was like, you know, I've been down that road, and for the cases I get, I need ribs. It just doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't work. I mean, yeah. I mean, I wonder. I wonder if like allograft septum would ever become a thing. I don't know. I mean, people don't harvest the septum. septum. I feel like if the allograft rib is not ideal or best, I can't imagine that septum would be any better because the rib is already a nice chunky piece of cartilage. Yeah. At baseline, septum is kind of thin and weak. So if you harvest that as an allograft, I can't imagine that it's going it, to—it's going to be like ear cartilage. You know, it's going to be kind of thin and flimsy. It's a good question. Well, there's a project for you, hmm. doctor. I will look into it. Hmm. It's probably just not enough cartilage to, to you know, because you it. really can't do anything with it. Yeah. You know, like when I get a rib from, you know, uh, and I am a consultant to MTF, I should mention that. Um, but when I get a rib from a company or a bone bank or whatever, there's a lot of cartilage. I can do a lot yeah. of grafts with it. Yeah, it's a nice piece. Yeah, and you can cut it. It cuts nicely, et cetera, et cetera. But an irradiated rib is different and and I will digress for a second and, and remind everybody that I am a consultant to MTF. The product from MTF is a little bit different because of the way it's processed. You know, the the irradiated rib is like has a different look and feel. Right. So it's they're not equal. Um I don't know if they're better or worse. I mean I think people would argue for each one for different reasons. But uh so if you're if you're a plastic surgeon listening to this kind of pay attention to what type of allograft rib you're using. Right. Right. Not that one's better than the other. They're just, just different. Just know the difference. Autogenous is better. <laughs> so you tell your patient they got to give you a rib. <laughs> it makes such a difference long term. I mean, it does. And here's the, I think where I would compare a septal reconstruction to sort of a complex breast revision. If you're going down the road of a septal reconstruction, it is not going to be anything like your first primary rhinoplasty no your first primary rhinoplasty you know you had it you probably felt good after a day or two you took it down you went about your business and no big deal if you're undergoing a full-on septal reconstruction and you're harvesting your own rib for that this is a much bigger deal it's a much more complex case the potential complications the potential revisions are a lot higher because this is a more complex thing so this is not the same as your cutesy little initial rhinoplasty that is very well said and very well punctuated because it is it's true you're 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 on for something a lot bigger than just getting your nose done right and this is where follow-up is super key because there are a lot of places in the in the recovery period where things can go a little sideways and if you're following up literally sideways so if you're following up with your surgeon you know there are some little 
maneuvers or in-office procedures that can be done during this healing period to keep things literally on the straight and narrow. Yeah, and typ- typically I'll leave the splints in for two months. Two, two, two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> two years. You're going to have these splints for two years, sir. No, usually two weeks, not two and months. And usually it's one week, so that's where it's Yeah, different. usually it's one week. I, I sometimes leave three weeks. Yeah. You know, if I, if I really feel like I need some stabilization while this thing heals, then I, I'll leave them in for three weeks. And, you know, you, you can leave them in. I, you know, the world record in my book was <laughs> this poor soldier that missed his post-op appointment after having a septoplasty and went to uh, somewhere in the Middle East, either Afghanistan oh, or Kuwait or something, and was gone for six months. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and they came back for his post-op appointment when he came back from his tour of duty. Oh, no. He had been in battle, and et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, did I, so did you get your toil splints taken out? He's like, you know, I felt like there was something in there. Oh, my gosh. Sure enough, there they were. Full of sand. <laughs> per- perfect in position. Sutured in with their 30 nylon, like I put them in yesterday. I, I took them out. His septum was perfect. Oh, like I it bet. was the straightest septum you've Been ever in a, seen. A cast for six months. <laughs> he was like, he's like, you know, I could breathe really well though. I just every time I go to pick my nose, it felt like there was something in there. Huh. He goes, I thought that was part of the surgery. I was like, well, it was, and it needed to come out before you went to That's nuts. war. <laughs> it was nuts. But it just goes to show you can leave them in for a while. He wasn't on antibiotics. He wasn't getting huh. infected. It was just kind of, you know, and that's like a septal button. Septal button's a silicone, you know, device that you put in a septal perforation. It just sits in there. It just stays there. Yeah. So, it's an inert substance. You know, silicone can kind of hang out. Uh, but the, the bottom line is the post-op care is really important. And you do need to, you should show up for your post-ops and get your Doyle splints out in a reasonable fashion. Please, please, and thank you. You can get recurrence of deviation and you yeah. can get, it is not a one and done on these things a lot of the time. Right. Uh, my statistics are 85%. If they haven't had a rib graft, if they have had a rib graft already, it's 75% and a 25% chance they're going to need revision surgery. Right. When things heal, especially in the nose and especially when you're putting in grafts, things have the potential of healing just a little wonky sometimes. Things and they shift. curve and they move and they pull in the direction of the scar tissue and yeah. It's a it's a structure that's sitting out in space. Right. And it's it's best to keep the one that you're born with unless it has problems and you have to do something with it. And then if you do, support is the key over time. That's what I've learned that you must have a strategy for support. And I'm I'm not no, I'm not going to get into it on the septal approach for preservation rhinoplasty because that's its own topic of what's being done in a preservation rhinoplasty with a septum and how I feel that that is different than sort of the standard traditional septoplasties that are typically done. We'll save that for another podcast. Maybe. Good idea. <laughs> I like the way you're thinking. So with that said... This is the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast, coming to you from the 90210.
If you like what you heard on the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast and want to get in touch with either Dr. Ravello or myself, this is how to do it. You can reach me at the website, RavelloPlasticSurgery.com. You can reach out to the office directly through the website with any questions or consult requests, or you can call the office directly at 310-954-1355. And you can reach me on Instagram at Ravello Plastic Surgery. And to reach me, the phone number is 310-777-8800. My website is drcalvert.com, drcalvert.com. Instagram, Dr. J. Calvert. And of course, you may want to check out our YouTube channel for the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast, which is simply that, Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast. Hope to see you all in the office very soon. Uh-huh.